Okay, looking at Daniel chapter 10, how about we pray again. Father, thanks again that you speak your word. Thanks for um, that we can yeah, soak in it together. Uh, please do uh, change, change us by your powerful word. Amen. In books and movies, the battle between good and evil is often evenly balanced. In fantasy worlds and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hobbits and heroes tip the balance. Their decisions and actions save the day. This chapter gives us a glimpse of the invisible spiritual battle between good and evil. How does it fit with the things we've already seen in Daniel? How do you think we fight in that battle? Daniel is a book with lots of dreams and visions and interpretation. Uh, God revealing reality, events in history, and where history is heading. Chapters 10 and 11 are, sorry, 10, 11 and 12 are the final vision. Daniel was a teenager when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar defeated Jerusalem. He took Daniel into exile and renamed him Belteshazzar. Daniel was in his 80s when the Medes and Persians defeated Babylon. During the year after that, after, during the year after that defeat, three things happened. Daniel prayed and saw what we read in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions and came out alive. We read that in chapter 6. And the Persian king gave permission to the Jews to return to Jerusalem. That was recent history for Daniel's first readers. Two years after God began to keep his promise to let the Jews return to Jerusalem from exile, he showed Daniel another vision. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 are that final vision. The three chapters are three big sections. Chapter 10 shows us the invisible spiritual conflict. Chapter 11, God's rule through history. Chapter 12 looks forward to the end of history and shows us God's rule in the end. So chapter 10, verse 1, describes the whole vision. God revealed the word. It's a true word. It's a word about a great conflict. And Daniel understood it. Then verse 2, Daniel begins to tell it. It's two years since the king gave Jews permission to return to Jerusalem. But Daniel isn't rejoicing after long years in exile. He's mourning, verses 2 and 3. So three weeks with no delicacies, no maize, no wine, no anointing. Uh, three weeks without implies that normal life uh, included those things. There have been times when Daniel has celebrated and feasted in Babylon. But in chapter 1, Daniel and his friends mourned. When he first arrived, they mourned that they were in exile. They mourned about the defeat of Jerusalem. Now again, about 70 years later, Daniel mourns. He eats bland food and he drinks dull drinks as a way to express and deepen his sorrow. He mourns for three weeks. And in verse 4, the 21st day of his mourning is the 24th day of the first month. It means nothing to us, 
But for Jewish readers, that's ten days after Passover that he finished his mourning. Which means that Daniel mourned through Passover. He missed the joyful celebration of God rescuing his people out of Egypt. What made him mourn? We'll hear why he mourned as we see the vision. The first thing Daniel sees is a vision of a man. Though he's far from just a man, verse 5. Uh, he is clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude, the sound of a crowd. Daniel sees him in the vision, and at the same time, the person he sees seems to be real and present. So that because verse 7, the people who are with Daniel don't see the man, but they do tremble and fear in his presence. They flee and hide. I think that gives us the sense that Daniel is seeing unseen reality. It's got a vision, but more than vision. So verse 8, Daniel is left alone, no other, no other humans around him. Uh, he sees uh, the great vision and he crumbles. He says, no strength, radiant appearance, fearfully changed, no strength. That's just seeing this magnificent man. Then he hears him speak. And as he hears his words, he falls on his face in a deep sleep with his face to the ground. He's passed out cold, face down. We've seen Daniel stand straight and refuse to obey the kings of two superpower nations. Under threat of death, he just said no to those kings. He stood before them. Brutal superpower kings. But he falls in his face before this magnificent man. Verse 10, a hand touches and strengthens him enough to get up to as far as on his hands and knees. He's still trembling. Verse 11, he's told to understand and to stand. And he stands, but he continues to tremble. Verse 12, the man speaks, and we start to see what made Daniel mourn. Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand... And humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Daniel mourned because he didn't understand the things God revealed to him. He mourned and he longed and he prayed for understanding. He set his heart to understand. He mourned because the things he had seen before and only partially understood were weighing on him. He felt sorrow, the sorrow of hearing God's word and not understanding it. And he asked for understanding. That's the implication, isn't it, of the, the magnificent man becoming because of Daniel's words. From the first day he mourned and asked, he was heard. But verse 13, the magnificent man says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. 
kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. This magnificent man was delayed by the prince of Persia until Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help. He couldn't get through without help. Daniel passed out just when he saw this magnificent man. The magnificent man needed help to get past the prince of Persia. Think about that. What must the prince of Persia be like? Daniel collapses again when he hears this. He can't speak. Verse 16, one in the likeness of the children of man touches his lips. And strengthened by the touch, Daniel is enabled to speak. But all he can say is, I can't cope with this. Verse 16, halfway through. Oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. He's strengthened by another touch. And finally, Daniel, who would otherwise be passed out cold, is able to cope. He's able to cope with the presence and hear the words spoken by the magnificent man. He's been given enough strength to hear him speak. Verse 20, he says to Daniel, Do you know why I've come to you? Uh, But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of grace will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first day of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Uh, The message and vision then continues uh, into the rest of chapter 11 uh, uh, to speak about God's rule through history. And chapter 12 uh, looks to the end of history and God's rule in the end. We'll get to those over the next two weeks. Before we think about the key things from this chapter, I want to say something about this man who speaks, the magnificent man. Now, some people think um, that this is an Old Testament vision of God the Son. Uh, one reason for that is uh, how some of the ways that he's described echo in Revelation chapter 1 when John describes the glorified Lord Jesus. These are some of these words. Uh, the description also echoes some of how God on his throne is described in Ezekiel chapter 1. But some of it also overlaps with how the throne carriers are described in, by Ezekiel. Uh, the magnificent angels in some ways echo the all-surpassing magnificence of God himself. There's overlap in how they're described. I think what Daniel saw is a vision of a magnificent angel. Verse 11, uh, he's sent as a messenger. Verse 13, he has bestowed and delayed. Verses 13 and 21, he needs another angel's help. It seems to me that suggests that he's less than we'd expect from the glorious God the Son, without whom nothing was made that has been made. He's an enormously powerful angel, and he's engaged in a real and spiritual battle. There are forces which can oppose him. The prince of Persia, the prince of grace, they didn't tremble before this angel. 
They fought him. They resisted him. I take it those princes are fallen angels among Satan's army. So this part of the vision opened Daniel's eyes and opens our eyes to see an invisible spiritual conflict. 20th century Dutch politician and theologian Abraham Kuyper uh, wrote, If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its reins, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there, that is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. We see that reality by faith. We see it by trusting God who speaks to us about it in Daniel and Revelation and Paul's letters and in the Gospels. We see the invisible spiritual conflicts. Daniel chapter 10, the battle is on two fronts. God's plan and God's word which reveals it. I will see more of God's plan uh, next week and beyond. But chapter 11 verse 1, God's angels stood up to confirm and strengthen Darius the maid in the year he gave permission for Jews to return to Jerusalem. I don't know how many times I've started reading chapter 11 and 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 thought this is Daniel speaking before I realized actually this is the angel speaking. But it's the angel who's saying that he strengthened Darius the maid. This angel was active as God put his plan into effect. Active in response to Daniel's chapter 9 prayer. The implication is that he strengthened Darius against an opposing spiritual influence. Another spiritual force opposed God's plan, and this angel fought to make God's plan happen. The other front of the battle is God's word, which reveals his plan. Uh, That's what the Prince of Persia tried to stop in uh, verse 13. He tried to delay and prevent the vision which we'll hear over these next couple of weeks. What difference would it have made if the message had been stopped? Well, Daniel and his people would have missed out on the reassurance that the living and true God is working his plans and purposes. They wouldn't have been reassured that even as the Persians rules, even as uh, power shifts to the Greeks, even as life gets worse and worse, they wouldn't have been reassured that God is working his plans. If the vision had been stopped, God's people would not have been able to see the invisible reality. They'd have been tempted to tremble before the nations and their rulers without God's word to show them the truth of God's infinite power and absolute worthiness. So what's visible doesn't always look like God rules. But he does. God rules now and always. Satan doesn't want you to see that reality. The battle still rages. 
Satan, um, Jesus spoke about Satan and his angels. His apostle Paul wrote about the invisible conflict. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Uh, uh, Paul writes, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Some some Christians talk about spiritual warfare as if it's a whole new thing that needs completely different weapons to anything else you've heard about in the Christian life. As if you level up into spiritual warfare, uh, which is imagined to include things like uh, learning hierarchies of angels and demons or learning special prayers uh, or territorial prayers. There's a danger of losing sight of what God actually says about it. Now, he tells us there are enormously powerful forces battling for and against his plan to save and his word which reveals it. But he doesn't send us off to uh, find uh, uh, semi-magical incantations. He tells us to trust. He tells us to trust him and his gospel and his willingness to hear and answer our prayers. That's the armor. Uh, Read the next bit, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Hear our part. Hear our part in the battle. It's fought by hearing and trusting and obeying and praying God's word. That's how we engage in spiritual warfare. Now, please don't hear that as advice to forget about spiritual realities and do what you would have done anyway. (laughs) That's not it at all. Let this vision shape how you see things. Imagine, imagine Daniel who stood tall in front of superpower kings. Imagine him crumbling before a messenger angel and then told that the one he crumbled in front of would have got there sooner, but someone stopped him. Imagine the power of the one who held him back. Imagine the awful might and power 
of the invisible spiritual powers. And let it unravel your self-confidence. Let it send you to your Savior. Say the reality that God reveals and soak in it until it soaks into your thoughts, conscience, will, passions and drives you to desperate prayer to our Heavenly Father who is in absolute control and delights to hear our prayers. This part of the vision opened Daniel's eyes and opens our eyes to the invisible spiritual conflict. And it helped Daniel and helps us to trust that the word is true. God is mentioned once and briefly in verse 12. But that brief mention reminds Daniel and us that the living and true, loving and holy God rules now and always. That he is the great and awesome God who sent this messenger. That the message, that, that, that this vision is from God. The focus isn't on the messenger. The focus is on the message he brings from the great and awesome, loving and holy God. We can be absolutely confident in what God says through him. Chapter 10 gives us confidence to read on into chapter 11 and 12. To hear chapter 11, uh, that God rules through history. Chapter 12, uh, what, what about uh, God's rule in the end. And to hear it with confidence. When God came to and spoke uh, to his people, Israel, at Mount Sinai, they shook and trembled. They said to Moses, you listen to him, you tell us what he says and we'll do it. Moses did, but they didn't. We should. We must trust God who speaks the Bible. We can confidently trust God who speaks the Bible. The New Testament book of Hebrews begins by mentioning prophets and angels. God spoke through them. But now he is spoken by his son. Hebrews chapter uh, 1 verse 2. By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The name son is more excellent than the name messenger. The son reveals the truth more clearly than the prophets. You know, I don't routinely receive visions sent by God through magnificent angels. But we do receive words sent by God by his Spirit, confirmed to us by the Son. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, authenticates the Old Testament and gives us the New Testament. We can trust him. We can trust him when he says these words in this Bible are true. We can believe what they say, obey what they command, trust what they promise, because we have God the Son telling us to believe, obey, and trust. Next week, we'll get into the next chapter, which helps us see God's rule through history. This week, 
Let this part of the vision open your eyes to the invisible but very real spiritual battle. Jesus defeated Satan, but the battle continues. It continues towards an inevitable end. We'll see that end when we get to chapter 12, but let me show it to you from another angle. In Revelation uh, chapter 19, uh, Jesus and all his people and armies line up against the beasts of the of the satanic realm and their people. They prepare to do battle. As you read, you're ready for a long, drawn-out battle with all these, yeah, these many multitudes gathered against each other. Revelation chapter 19, verse 19. Uh, Jesus is the one sitting on the horse. In the, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. You see it? Army? against army, ready to do battle. The next verse says, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on his horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is the end of the spiritual battle. Jesus, by his word, wins. Jesus already rules, and on that day, he will be seen to rule. We trust Jesus as rescuer and ruler live under his constant care and the constant care of our Heavenly Father who rules over all things. He reveals reality to us. We can trust him. His word is true. The reality he reveals includes the invisible spiritual conflict between our powerful spiritual beings who far surpass us in might and power. Imagine the awful might and power of the invisible spiritual powers. And let it unravel your self-confidence. Let it send you to our Savior. See the reality God reveals and soak in it until it soaks into your thoughts and conscience, will and passions and drives you to desperate prayer to our Heavenly Father who is in absolute control and delights to hear our prayers. Fight in the invisible conflicts, the invisible spiritual conflict, by hearing, trusting, obeying, and praying to the living and true God who rules now and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your trustworthy word. Thank you uh, that in the Lord Jesus we have the assurance uh, that the words of the Old and New Testament are your words for us. To be believed in what they teach, obeyed in what they command, and trusted in what they promise. Well, please do help us in seeing Jesus as 
your son ruling over all things, the mighty, powerful, awesome one. Please do feed our confidence in your word. Father, please feed our confidence in your word concerning the invisible but very real spiritual battle. Father, we ask that your word, that hearing it and trusting it would uh, cause us uh, to realize our utter dependence on you. Please unravel our self-confidence to to think that we can press on and we'll be okay. Um, Please grow our confidence to call upon you and upon your son and to know that in your care we will be okay. That you, our great and sovereign God, are able to work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. That you're determined uh, through uh, pleasures and pains uh, to form and conform us into the likeness of your Son, our Savior. Father, please continue that work in spite of Satan's work against it while we await the day we see our glorious Savior. And it's in him we pray. Amen.